Psalm 73 is one of my favorite psalms. And the uh, worship team did not know that I was going to heavily reference Psalm 73 in my sermon. And so I am thankful to God for their uh, singing it um, and leading us in singing it this morning. If you will open your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. And if you're visiting with us for the first time, we are uh, working our way through the book of Acts, passage by passage. And before I uh, read the scriptures, um, typically I outline my sermon and have my direction uh, well before I look at the commentaries. Uh, And um, this week I had done that, but then as I looked at the commentary, um, and one, well, one sermon in particular uh, by Terry Johnson, it dovetailed exactly with where I was going. And so, uh, although I'm preaching my own sermon, his sermon was so helpful, I did want to give him uh, credit. Please hear the, the Word of God, Acts chapter 12. Beginning with verse 20. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Let's pray. God, as we open your word as we are confronted with this passage of scripture confronted with your judgment of Herod for his pride and his unwillingness to give you the glory Father I pray that your word would um, would act like a microscope into our hearts this morning that we uh, might not hold on to any sin, but um, but that we would bring ourselves into the light of your presence to be examined by you and to flee from everything that is displeasing to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I ended the sermon last week by asking, what about James? Do you remember what happened last week? How James was executed by Herod Antipas, while Peter was delivered from the jail from jail by an angel. And the question was, why did God give a different outcome for Peter than he did for James? And the answer I gave, and the answer that the Bible consistently gives, is that God is sovereign. That he accomplishes his will in every circumstance, even if we don't know what he's doing in the process. We are faced with a similar question this week. Instead of asking, what about James? 
This week, we need to ask, what about Herod? Herod Antipas is not known as being as wicked as his grandfather. And you know the story of his grandfather, Herod the Great, who killed every child two years and younger in Bethlehem and in the surrounding vicinity because he was scared that uh, Jesus, when he was born, would grow up and then uh, displace him from the throne. And Herod Antipas is not as wicked as his grandfather, but he is wicked nonetheless. We saw last week how he murdered the Apostle James. We saw last week in verse 1 how he was persecuting uh, other Christians. We saw last week how he threw the Apostle uh, Peter into jail with the express purpose of uh, executing him after the Passover feast had ended. And yet, what about Herod? He's wicked, and it seems as if God leaves him alone. God leaves Herod in power where he can continue to persecute the church. In fact, in verse 19, Herod left Jerusalem and he traveled to the luxurious seaside city of Caesarea for a little rest and relaxation. I'll read verse 19. And after Herod searched for for Peter and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. And then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. It seems, instead of of suffering uh, any consequences for his wickedness, that Herod is prospering and that he is actually growing in power. And this brings us to our first point, that sometimes God will delay His justice. What if you were a Christian living in Jerusalem at the time? And you might be tempted to ask if your family members were withering away in jail, if you had just witnessed uh, James uh, be executed, you might be, be tempted to ask, How long, O Lord? Why does Herod continue to get away with this wickedness? This is a difficult question that demands an answer. Even the, even the, the, the saints up in heaven, the martyrs up in heaven, after their death are in the presence of God. In Revelation 6 verse 9, we read them asking this same question. When, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? This also reminds me of Psalm 73, which we just sang. The psalmist is wrestling with these same questions. 
the psalm begins, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, the psalmist says, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. And he carries on like this for several more verses. So I'm skipping down to later in the psalm. And in verse 12 he says, This is what the wicked are like. They are always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. And then he's wrestling here with the question. This question is just plaguing him. It's eating away at him. He says, all day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. And the idea is he's just laying in bed and and before he gets up and he's thinking through. He's comparing his life with the life of the wicked. And it seems like the wicked are prospering while he is struggling day to day to make ends meet. He says, when I tried to understand this, it was oppressive to me until I entered into the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their final destiny. Surely you placed them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. It's a question that we continue to wrestle with today. We cry out to God for help. Or we cry out to Him for justice. And it seems as if God is unaware. The immoral continue in their immorality. The wicked continue to abuse the innocent. The God-haters continue to mistreat God's people. They all seem to get away with it. Rarely do they have any visible consequences that we can see. Have you ever felt like this? I became a Christian in college. And during this time, Madonna was just beginning to become a big star. And the world was fawning at her feet. And her singular message was sex, sex, and more sex. And it seemed to me as if my whole generation was under her spell. So I began to pray that God would bring His judgment on her in an unmistakable fashion. I think I prayed daily for at least a couple of years for her to die. And I prayed specifically. My wife told me that I should not um, tell you what I specifically prayed, that it's a little too graphic, so I won't. But I prayed against her because of the, the influence she was having on uh, my generation. And it wasn't hatred for her. In fact, I, every time I prayed against her, first I prayed for her to repent, for her to turn to the Lord Jesus. But uh, if she did not repent, I prayed for her demise. It was jealousy for my own generation that I was praying this prayer. But now, and I can't believe it, almost 25 years later, 
um, Madonna is continuing to prosper. In fact, she's become a legendary figure during this uh, past two decades. She's even become a mother. And she seems to be as carefree as a person can be. And I'm tempted to ask, where is God in this? What was He doing while I was praying? Did He hear my prayers? And you undoubtedly have similar and possibly more personal stories of injustice. You may have been cheated out of large sums of money by someone um, or you may know of a family member who is abandoned by his or her, her spouse and the former spouse is devastated that their husband or wife left them and they left the children and, and, the, and, the, and the spouse in poverty while the cheating spouse is just having the time of their life. And do you wonder, where is God when this is happening? Why doesn't He do something? The answer is, sometimes the justice is delayed. But you can also know that the justice is certain. Charles Spurgeon talked about unanswered prayers. He said, when God delays an answer, that He allows the interest to accrue, so that when He gives the answer, He gives the answer plus the interest. And when God delays His justice and His judgment, I believe there is also a negative interest that is accruing as well. You can know that God's justice is certain. Look with me at verses 20 through 23. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. And on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes. He took his seat upon the throne. And he delivered an oration to them. The people were shouting the voice of God, not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. There's always a day of judgment awaiting the unrepentant. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It might not even be during this life. But everybody will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28 says, Just as man is destined to die once, and after that to face the judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take, to take away the sins of many people, and He will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. And the the logic of the writer of the book of Hebrews is that just as it was certain that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, it is just as certain that everyone who dies will face judgment. The question is, 
will you face the judgment of God with Christ as your advocate or all alone in your sins? The consequences that the wicked face in this life, in this life I believe, are really God's mercies. Every consequence that a non-Christian faces in this life is a sermon urging them to flee to Christ. I think that's why so many inmates in prison uh, become Christians. Because they, have, they are facing their consequences and God in His mercy has allowed them to get caught so that they can reach the end of their selves and turn to God. But those who never bear any consequences in this life, how scary is that? They never get caught. What's happening there? They are bypassing God's mercy. Their destruction is even more certain because they are never forced to slow down. They are never faced to, to, to consider their consequences of, of, of their wrongs. I believe it is better to be found out and face the consequences than to get away with it and never receive God's mercy. Before I move on, by way of parenthesis, I found something very interesting about Herod's death. Josephus, the uh, Jewish historian who was no Christian, in fact wrote his, his uh, history uh, quite independent of the biblical story, um, uh, he records, uh, he leaves us a record of Herod's death. Here's what Josephus says. Herod's flatterers raised their voices, addressing him as a god. The king did not rebuke them, nor did he reject their flattery as impious. But shortly thereafter, he felt a stab of pain in his heart. He was also gripped in his stomach by an ache that he felt everywhere at once. And that was... And that was intense from the start. Exhausted after five, day, five straight days by the pain in his abdomen, he departed this life in his 54th year of his life and the seventh year of his reign. The commentators believe that they have figured out what happened to Herod. Now my prayer against Madonna was no less graphic than what happened to Herod. Uh, and here's what Richard Longenecker uh, says happened to Herod. Luke's reference to worms suggests an inf- infection by intestinal roundworms. And he gives the technical term here, and I can't pronounce it. Uh, he says, and these, these worms grow as long as 10 to 16 inches and feed on the nutrient fluids in the intestines. Bunches of round worms can obstruct the intestines, causing severe pain, copious vomiting of worms, and death. Herod's sin found him out. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, Do not be deceived. God will not, cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. What about you? Are there things that you are hiding from the Lord? Are there areas of your life that you need to bring to God? What will it take for you? You are doing well right now. But what will it take 
to get your attention if you indeed are hiding areas of your life from God. And you might be thinking, well, God doesn't punish Christians. You are right. Jesus Christ took the full punishment that our, of our sins. He bore our sins on the cross. But Hebrews 12 verse 6 says, The Lord disciplines those He loves. What will it take for God to get your attention? Will He have to lay you flat out, figuratively speaking, or maybe literally speaking, so that He will cause you then to look up to Him? We're celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning. We always encourage you to examine yourselves before we enter into the communion service. So I want to especially urge you to examine your your life and your heart this morning. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The good news is the Lord Jesus has more than enough grace to cover over your sin. And His, His love is greater than any consequences you could bear. Bring Him your sin this morning. That is why Jesus came and bled and died. And finally, I want you to notice that in spite of Herod's sin, in spite of his persecution of the church, what was the church doing? The church was prospering. Look at verses 24 and 25. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. The word of God increased and multiplied. The gospel is relentless. It cannot be stopped or hindered by any man or action. Remember last week, what was happening when Herod was persecuting the church? The church was praying. The gospel cannot be contained when God's people are on their knees. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus said, all power in heaven and on earth are mine and I am giving it to the church so that the church can make disciples of all nations. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Jesus shall reign until he brings all of his enemies underneath his feet. How will he bring people into submission to himself? Through the powerful and relentless spread of the gospel. Terry Johnson, in his sermon, said, Don't let the sorry circumstances of the modern American church affect your outlook. Jesus will prevail. He will win the victory. Now, I want to turn the attention back to you individually. The question for you this morning is that do you believe that Christ in all His power that is available to the church and to His people, do you believe that He is able to help you overcome your sin? Let's pray together. Almighty God, as we have opened and read Your Word, and we have considered Your justice, 
it drives us to consider all the more the grace of our Lord Jesus that He purchased for us on the cross. Even though it costs us nothing, it costs Him everything. God, I pray that we, as the body of Christ, would turn to Him and hang on to Him for dear life. Father, I pray that if there are any here who do not know Him, that You would bring them uh, to Yourself. God, I know the power of sin and it seems like it can just overtake a person and hold them in its grip. Remind us, our God, that the grace of our Lord Jesus is infinitely more powerful. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.